Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Every one of us is here for a reason. If we were to go through and the room on Christmas Eve or ask all the people that are viewing online, we discover that some of them are here because they've always gone to a candlelight ceremony. They may not do church the rest of the year, but this is special. Some, by the way, would be here because they say, I get to hold a little candle and sing Silent Night, my favorite part of the church. Others are hoping for hope. Some, they just didn't have anything else to do. And if you were able to be here in person, some people heard that we have chili, cheese, and crackers. Now, just to be clear, until midnight, we are still in the season of Advent. At Christmas Eve worship, as we know it, is actually fairly new, just the last hundred years. Up until then, there was only an 11 p.m. service, which is where the candles came in. People waited in the darkness for the end of Advent and the coming of the light of Christ child, and they prepared their hearts and their souls with hymns and scripture lessons. At midnight, and not a minute before, they would light the Christ candle, and then they would all run home to get a few hours of sleep before coming back and blowing out the roof of the church, celebrating the coming of Jesus. So, as with all things, eventually someone asked their pastor if they could possibly have an earlier worship service. You know, the horses don't like being out that late. And then someone else says, hey, did you hear what they're doing at Redeemer? Hey, pastor, can we do that? And before long, Christmas Eve services were packed, and Christmas Day, not so much. If we were in Germany tonight, we'd leave a shoe outside for St. Nicholas to put some, well, presents in. In Sweden... We'd just be having dinner with family and friends. In Iceland, we'd leave a plate of food out for the Yule lads. Now, these are mythical and maybe not so mythical young boys who, well, let's just say they cause a lot of trouble, pranksters, and they might skip your house if you leave them some food. Well, in Finland, we'd be visiting cemeteries and lighting a candle. For our loved ones. And here in the United States, eh, we just leave cookies and milk out for Santa. I have mixed feelings about worshiping in the dark with only the twinkles of the Christmas tree and garland and enlighteningness. I know it's supposed to make me feel all holy, but it also reminds me for the whole reason that we need the candles. Oh, and those fancy, you know, LED lights that we have now. And mostly, mostly I'm reminded of this in this dark why we need Jesus. St. John said Jesus is the light of the world, and even though the world didn't recognize him, and by the way, he had created the world, he came to push the darkness away and restore the light of God. What we're experiencing right now is an in-between. It's not light, it's not dark, which is, as it turns out, the perfect metaphor for the world that we're currently living in. When you were asked where God was on any of the darkest days in history, Sandy Hook, Columbine, 9-11, December 7th, 1941, maybe getting a little more personal, the days when the light was suddenly sucked out of your life and you found yourself inside of a deep and hungering dark, how do you answer? What do you tell them? What explanation do you offer?
Our Advent candles had an awful lot of darkness to overcome this year. The darkness keeps finding its way into our world, into our communities, into our families, and into our lives. Which is why our little Advent candles, and soon our silent night candles, and our Christ candle are so important. While their light is pretty inconsequential in the grand scheme of things, they represent a promise made by God to you. Even before you were born, in fact, actually before the world was born, their stubborn little flames are the divine promise that even the smallest light chases away the shadows that lurk around every corner. And no matter how dark or hungry or evil the darkness may be, it can never keep God out. Whenever a tragedy happens, someone eventually asks, you know, where was God? And I think it's peculiar because most of the people who ask that question actually don't believe in God. But, you know, they have something to prove. Um, <laughs> They want to say that God is powerless in the face of tragedy, or that he doesn't care about us, or that he is so busy playing pickleball with King David and Elijah and Moses that he just doesn't have time to come down and fix the brokenness in this world. You know, we all grieve in different ways. We all question people in different ways. We all have different hot buttons. We may call ourselves Lutheran or Catholic or Baptist or agnostic or atheist or non-denominational, but the truth is most of us are not what we say we are. We're actually a mixture of a lot of things, and that mixture brings different expectations, fears, wants, desires, needs, all of which were conditioned through our experiences, our life lessons, and the reality of our individual lives. I received an email this last week from a very well-known international ministry noting that if I was a real Christian, that I would send them a sacrificial gift so that they do not remove Christ from Christmas. I read it a second time and laughed. First of all, they're a little late if they thought they could keep you know, Christ from being removed from this Christmas. Secondly, they never really said who or what or how they were removing Christ from Christmas, nor how this organization was going to keep them from removing Christ from Christmas. And third, two misspelled words, a host of grammatical mistakes in the email. But to be bluntly honest, none of that really mattered. You see, what caused me to laugh was the belief that somehow God needs the permission of politicians, the economy, the media, or anyone else before he can make an appearance in our world. If you read the story of Jesus' birth in Luke 2, you discover some things. The light came into the darkness, even though much of the world actually preferred remaining in the darkness. The light came to a particular young girl and her betrothed carpenter because they were willing to be part of God's work. The light came to Bethlehem, not because Caesar or any other politician approved of God's visa request, but rather because that's where God said the light would be born through the prophet Micah several hundred years before. The light came at the exact day of the calendar because God deemed that that was the fullness of time. The light came into a stable because there was no room in the inn. The light came to the amazement of a few stinky shepherds because all the religious folk were busy that night patting themselves on the back and complimenting one another about how holy they were. Now you tell me, has anything really changed in the last 2,000 years? 
When the book of Galatians says, In the fullness of time God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were being crushed by the law so that they might receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. It's not like God was waiting uh, you know, up in heaven for the world to get its act together, for, for everyone to somehow get holy enough so that they deserved to be saved. And then suddenly that moment arrived and God says, Ha-ha! Now I can send my Son. No. No, in fact, the church has always been messed up. Politicians, messed up. Media, yeah, messed up. Society and culture, yep, messed up. Actually, there's never been a time when the whole world was at peace. Never been a time when there wasn't hungry and homeless and lost individuals. And as much as we would like to point to the good old days, you know, every time I would talk to my grandma about those good old days, she would say, they really weren't all that good. When someone says that Jesus needs to come back and fix things here and now, I like to remind him, you know, the last time he did that, it was the church and the government that uh, got rid of him. They executed him by nailing him to a cross. There is no fixing this world, at least not permanently. The best we can do is a temporary patch job. You know, that still doesn't mean that God isn't here and now working on things, specifically through people like us. If the Incarnation tells us anything, it's that God cannot be kept out of our world or out of our lives. It's actually no different today than it was 2,000, 4,000, or 6,000 years ago. Most of the world is going about their business as though God wasn't here. But if you open up the eyes of your soul, you can see God at work. In fact, you can see that He has always been at work in our world, our country, our state, our community, our families, our lives. If like Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the magi, you're open to being part of God's work and will, well, then the truth is nobody can keep him out. I'm not saying I like it when they, whoever they are, um, take Jesus out of things or, or tell us that we can't sing certain songs or do certain things. But to be honest, it's actually somewhat refreshing because I like knowing where people stand on the whole Jesus issue. In Matthew 18, it says, when somebody sins against me, oh, and by the way, they leave that what the sin is kind of, well, up to the imagination. It says, I'm supposed to first go talk to them privately. And if I can't settle things, then I bring two or three friends together and we go and talk to them. And then, then I, I bring a whole bunch of people together and we make sure that everybody knows what everybody is saying so that, to be honest, we can take sides. If after all the talk is over, the two sides can't come together and we still believe that we're in the right, then God says you need to treat that other person like a sinner or a tax collector. Now, some people think that means kicking them out of the church or out of life or out of the world. In other words, just literally getting totally rid of them. But if you read it more carefully, you realize that it means treating them like someone who needs Jesus, kind of like you need Jesus, kind of like I need Jesus, kind of like all of us need Jesus. Most Christians think they would prefer a Christian nation where everybody believes what they believe and does what they do. And all that means is that they're not a student of either theology or history. Every time two people get together, there are always at least three opinions, whether it's religion, sports, or politics. Now, since it's still Advent until midnight when we light the Christ candle, here's the last Adventy thing that I'm going to share. Advent is all about, 
not the first coming of Jesus at the stable, but the second coming of Jesus when he comes on the clouds and well, riding that big white horse and every eye beholds him and every tongue confesses that he's Lord. I've read the book of Revelation. It, I actually know how the world's going to end. It's not all that much of a mystery. It's right there in the, in the book. All that is unholy gets burned up. All that is holy is purified by the fire and saved for all eternity. And by the way, they don't start off holy. We get holified, basically, by going through the fires. And it won't be the politicians, the pastors, the economists who get to decide which side is which, which is unholy and which is holy. See, that is and always has been God's business. And that's why I understand why it's so scary. What the lighting of our Advent candles and then our silent night candles and at midnight, not a minute before, our Christ candle. What it states without apology or hesitation is that God can be when and where, wherever God wants to be. You see, God needs no formal invitation. We couldn't remove him if we tried, and we've tried. But here is where that spoiler alert comes in. I know it's Advent and Christmas, but in just a few short months, we're going to be in the midst of Lent and Easter. And the two stories are bound together and cannot be separated. So tightly woven together they are. I know I said it was the government and the church that got rid of Jesus the first time. And it's true. It was their voices. It was their arguments, their authority that handed down that whole crucify him thing. But we are the church in its best moments and its worst moments. And so when the church did what God knew it would do, well, our voices got added to that whole crowd thing screaming, crucify him. Now comes the question. Did we say what we said? Did we do what we did? Did we think what we thought? Because if we got rid of God, we could go back to living any way we want and life would be good? Or did we say what we said and do what we did and think what we thought? Because we knew that if Jesus died on the cross, we could be saved. We know what the religious and the political leaders of that day were thinking. They nailed Jesus to the cross, emptied him of his power and prestige and humanity, all to preserve their power and their egos. And yet even with all that they said and did and thought, three days later, Jesus rose from his borrowed grave because you can't keep God out when God wants in. The incarnation reminds us God can be found everywhere. In a feeding trough, on a throne, among the poor, with the sick, on a donkey, in a fishing boat, with hypocrites and the forgotten and those with mental health struggles, people with family problems and work problems and financial problems. He can even be found with our enemies, with, yes, yeah, strangers and even foreigners. And if he is with our students at Concordia, Shanghai, and our missionaries in Eritrea, our members that are worshiping tonight in Germany, and our friends and family all across the mainland, and our first responders in their fire trucks and police cars and ambulances and, well, in hospitals and wherever, and our men and women in the armed forces who are standing watch all around this world. If, if God can be with all of them, then I'm pretty sure He can be with us. You see, God cannot be kept out. And although the darkness makes it hard to believe some days, well, that's why we keep lighting our Advent candles and our silent night candles 
and our Christ candle. You see, much of the world thinks we're crazy, taking comfort in such tiny flickers of flame. But to us, those tiny flickers of light remind us that God was here on this earth in a manger. He got wrapped in swaddling cloths. <laughs> he was there walking on the water, healing the sick, casting out demons, finding the lost, comforting the grieving, feeding the hungry, and even loving the unlovables. And he is still there. And he is still here. Because even when we tried to get rid of him, he chose to come back into our world, back into our country, back into our community, back into our state, back into our lives, back into our families, because that's the kind of God that we worship. I may not know exactly why you came here tonight. Maybe you don't know either. But what I want you to know is that no amount of darkness can ever overcome the light. When you hold that little candle tonight, know that you are loved, you are unique, and you are unreproducible. And you are here for a reason. And I don't ever want you to forget that. And if you do, because we are a forgetful people, then look around you. Satan, hell, death, the government, the church, the media, none of it can keep God out of your life. If he was willing to get born in a stable and hang out with the lepers and fishermen and the sick and the prodigals and then die on a used bloody cross and then spend three days in a borrowed tomb, how bad can your house, apartment, office, school, or life be? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.